Hey there, everyone. Jim here, the father of the father and son duo that does Fantasy for the Ages. The show where, yes, a father and son usually sit down and talk about fantasy and sci-fi literature and shows and other odds and ends. But this is a Just Jim episode. No Zachary with us here today, as we're going to review yet another of Jim Butcher's The Dresden Files, which Zach still hasn't read. So we just get to have all the fun for ourselves. We're up to book five now, Death Masks. And wow, what a book. This story just keeps getting better and better. Before we dive into this, uh, a few little details. We always like to find out what we're drinking when we record. Well, it's a clear liquid. It's not vodka and it's not gin. I'm just drinking water today. Why would I only be drinking water? Well, I've got to go back to a meeting after this. I'm recording on the early evening today and... I have an evening meeting waiting for me, so I figure walking in after a Long Island iced tea might not be the right call. We'll stick to the water today. Hmm. A fine vintage. I think that's a 22. A reminder of what we are here on this show, we do primarily work our way through the Wheel of Time. So if you have come here looking for Wheel of Time content, well, there's plenty of it. Those are episodes my son and I do together. Uh, we both have read The Wheel of Time in full and thoroughly enjoy talking about it now. If you're a first-time reader, it's like doing a reread at the same time as you're reading it if you listen along with us. And if you've read it all before, well, then you understand what we're talking about and why we enjoy it, and we welcome you to be here. But then we also will focus on other kinds of content, and that's what this is today. Because, wow, last year I read all of the Dresden Files, at least all of what was available up to that point. And now I just love having the chance to talk about it. So I'm glad you're here with me today. But if you have not read Death Masks, go away. I'm about to ruin this book for you. Do not stick around if you haven't read up through book five of the Dresden Files. Now, it's fine if you haven't read any further than this, because I will not spoil anything beyond book five. I'm going to deeply talk about whatever I want on this book, but I'll only at most hint about things still to come. I want you to enjoy the experience as you go. If you do like today's episode, the kind of content I'm putting out here, be sure to like this video and subscribe. If you're listening to the audio version, again, subscribe so you don't miss anything and give us a star rating, maybe write a review whatever your particular podcast vehicle allows you to do. We appreciate your help in spreading the word of what Fantasy for the Ages is doing. Well, that's the details for today. Let's get into this book. The greater overall story of the Dresden Files takes a big step forward here in book five. I mean, such a huge leap. We begin with Harry Dresden showing up for an interview as an expert on the supernatural on a talk show. That's right, The Larry Fowler Show. Why Harry? Well, apparently he's Chicagoland's only professional wizard. I mean, you look in the phone book, he's the only one there. So he gets called in to be part of the show. Now, this is kind of an oddity because if you remember, so far along the way we've learned the wizards and technology don't go well together. When Harry's around, things tend to go boom. 
So how in the world is he in a TV studio? Well, here we learn that a sufficiently skilled wizard, such as Harry now, can learn to suppress the negative impact that his magical aura will have on the technology around him. It's something he really has to focus and concentrate on. Uh, if he loses his grip, you'll start seeing lights blasting and computers shorting out again. But when we come in, here's Harry sitting on the set, ready to tough it out. Connected to this TV appearance, Harry meets, alongside him as another guest, Father Vincent. Now, this is a priest in from the Vatican in Rome who actually would like to hire Harry. See, something has gone missing, a very precious item of the church. And Harry is the one he thinks can help him get it back. What item? I oh, might have heard of it. The Shroud of Turin. The supposed actual shroud that Jesus was covered in when he was buried in the tomb after his death on the cross. It's gone, okay? A major heist job. This thing has been stolen. So Father Vincent's ready to drop Harry some coin and get him on the job. Okay. But that's not enough to kick off this story. Another guest, a surprise guest, appears on this episode of The Larry Fowler Show, one that very intentionally pushes Harry's buttons, takes advantage of the fact that they're kind of sitting here together in full view of everybody, and Harry can't really do anything about being stuck next to him at the moment. And that would be Professor Ortega of Sao Paulo, Brazil, who turns out to otherwise be known as Duke Ortega, of the Red Court of Vampires. You know, those vampires that the White Council of Wizards are at war with? So here they are, sitting side by side, both quite willing to kill each other if, if they had the chance. Now, Harry would much rather just leave. Duke Ortega would just much rather kill Harry. And that's the deal. That's why he's here. Ortega wants to make Harry an offer, one he doesn't think Harry can refuse. And that is a duel. He's challenging Harry to a duel following the official forms of things in the supernatural world. Basically, he's saying there's way too much death and destruction and damage to property and finances going on over this silly war. So let's finish this thing. You and me, Vamp v. Wizard, winner takes all. Specifically, if... Harry loses the duel and is still alive. <laughs> he surrenders to the vampires. The war is over and they will do what they do to Harry. Perhaps execute him. Maybe turn him into a vampire. It won't be up to Harry anymore. However, if Harry wins, the vampires give up, surrender, cede uh, the battle. The war goes to the White Council. Big deal. Could be good. Harry Dresden, however, is no fool. And he's like, yeah, you wouldn't be doing this unless you were sure you were going to win. So I don't no, No, thank you. I don't want to do this. And Ortega, well, he uh, sweetens the pot a bit. Mm, that's probably the wrong term. He pressures the pot some more because he points out that he's brought a hit squad with him to Chicago and everybody that Harry cares about in this town will be dead as soon as Ortega gives the order. 
The only thing stopping him from giving the order is if Harry goes ahead and accepts the duel. Dang, that sucks. So, without much choice, Harry does accept the duel. He also loses his cool at this point, and lights start blowing up in the TV studio. The cameras fritz out, and it's a disaster, and the show's over. All right. We've got the Shroud of Turin is missing, and Harry's been given the job. We've now got a duel, a magic duel, supernatural duel that Harry's going to have to prepare for. That's hanging over him, but that's not enough. No Dresden Files story is is one or even two simple, straightforward plots. Let's complicate this some more. Harry gets brought in now by Lieutenant Murphy with special investigations in the Chicago Police Department to consult on another case. This one starts in the coroner's department over a dead body as we meet one of the coroners, Butters, who's autopsying a body that's um, impossible. It appears this man has died from every disease he could have possibly contracted all at once. I mean, every bacteria, every virus, and very, very contagious. (laughs) Sorry, I wrote in my notes, holy meningitis, Batman. Whatever. Now, Butters is the one specifically looking at this because Murphy kind of requested him to be on the case. Because uh, Butters is very good at his job. Too good, perhaps. And he's ended up kind of on the uh, bad side of the official coroner's office and police department. Because you remember when there was that deal at Madame Bianca's place and Harry burned up a whole bunch of vampires? Well, Butters had been involved with processing the dead bodies. And he found some of them that clearly weren't human. Yeah, he found some of the burned vampires and he specifically reported These aren't human. Yeah, they're bodies, but they're not human. And he wouldn't recant his story. So he got uh, some administrative leave and a little time in uh, a, a retreat for those who need some mental assistance. And once he got out, he'd done all the things that, you know, were asked of him to do. So he got back to work, but they didn't put him up at the top cases anymore. Now he's kind of buried down in the bottom of the coroner's office. The point is, though, Butters has acknowledged that there's more to the world than just the reality we accept. He's seen it firsthand now. He wasn't willing to turn a blind eye to what evidence shows. Thus, he becomes the right person for cases like Murphy and S.I. and Harry Dresden are involved with. Okay, so now we've got a third layer here to this case. A body that's been killed with all the diseases you can think of at once. That's not natural, so it must be magical or supernatural, something. And she's asking for Harry to help. You know, this still seems too simple. There's only three layers so far. Let's add a fourth. Harry, after this incident, is outside and he gets attacked by a demon monster. A big, old, giant, kind of bear-like creature that tries to rip his head off and would have because Harry's magic, you know, wizards, if they get jumped, don't have time to prepare. They only have so much they can do. And Harry quickly exhausts what he can do. And this creature is not stopped. He's going to die. And then he is saved. Michael Carpenter shows up 
the Knight of the Cross that we've had interactions with before. But this time he has friends. There's two other guys with him, Shiro and Sansa. Now, these two, two uh, people are basically the Papa Bear. No, that's not the way I want it. Well, the old, the middle, and the young of these Knights of the Cross. There are three Knights of the Cross. There are three swords because there were three nails in the cross. And the nails are used in each of these swords to make these swords. And the three of them are all here at the same time because they're after the same mission, which is their ultimate mission to take out creatures like was just attacking Harry. What is this creature? It's a Denarian. The Denarians are fallen angels, 30 of them, each of which are imbued into and attached to a silver coin. The same 30 silver coins that Judas was given when he betrayed Jesus. So these coins now are possessed by a fallen angel. And of course, fallen angel translates into holy demon. <laughs> and these demons, they come with the coin. So if a person, if a man has this coin, a man, a woman, doesn't matter, a human has a coin and gets the power of the fallen angel and can do amazing things. But slowly over time, the fallen angel will take more and more control and eventually completely overpower the human. And this creature that had just attacked Harry was a man who had been taken over by the fallen angel Ursiel. And at this point was completely Ursiel. The, the human is just a, a psyche buried way in the back. This thing is all fallen angel. Well, until the Knights of the Cross took it out. And in fact, Michael chops its head off and a coin falls to the ground. Now, Harry goes to pick up the coin and, whoa, don't do that. Don't do that. He's warned very quickly. If you touch one of these coins, it gives the fallen angel access to you. Ooh, we might want to remember that. So instead, they carefully, the Knights of the Cross, carefully take that coin. They're going to return it to the church where it will be stored for safekeeping. Now, it turns out this is the driving mandate of Michael and his friends. Stop the Denarians. Their order goes back many years, and they've been after all of these silver coins, all of these fallen angels. They pulled Dresden out of the fire because they knew there's something happening here, and there's actually also a prophecy that has come to their attention, and it reveals that Harry is at the crux of something right now, and he needs to stay out of, well, specifically, he needs to stay out of this case with the ridiculously virally besieged corpse. They have information through this prophecy that if he's involved, basically, the world will end. Yeah, just the world ending. No big deal. Harry, however, has a little truck in prophecy and refuses to drop the case on such grounds. Later, Dresden actually does get details on the entire prophecy. It turns out the knights only got part of it. Yes, if he sticks with the case, bad things may happen. But the rest of the prophecy reveals that if he drops the case, if he's not involved, all three of the Knights of the Cross will die. Okay, that's worse. Maybe the world ends, or definitely the knights die. Harry's a sucker for his friends. He's not about to let Michael Carpenter die. 
So he's going to persevere. Now, this story jumps back and forth between the various aspects of the plot, the various details that we're in. So let's jump to the duel now. Okay, Harry agreed to battle Duke Ortega. And uh, when I say jump to the duel, I mean talk more about the duel, not actually to the duel. The way these duels work in the supernatural world is that somebody neutral will run the duel, facilitate, supervise, oversee the duel. And in this case, the White Council gets to select someone, and they select the Archive. Now, the Archive will actually also then judge who actually wins the duel, because duels are not to the death. They are to the something, depending on what form the duel ends up in. And, and this duel, Harry's waiting to see what it's going to be, and, and it turns out it's going to be a duel of wills. So whose will will overcome the other? And the archive will be the one to judge the result. What's the archive? It's a little girl. Okay, there's a little more to it than that. The archive is actually a supernatural being and a little girl. The supernaturalness is that the vast totality of written human knowledge exists in her. If it's written down, she has it. She knows it. She has access to it. You've heard the saying, knowledge is power. Yeah, this girl's got power. Now, the mantle of the archive has been passed down, mother to daughter, for generations and generations. Usually, you get the mantle of archive when you're a grown woman, maybe even late in life. But unfortunately, the archive's mother had come to possess the archive fairly young, and then died while her daughter was just a little kid. So, ta-da! She suddenly, as this very young child, has all the knowledge, all the power. And yet she's a little girl. It's a weird thing. She hasn't truly had the chance to grow up. Part of her is growing up, while part of her is the archive. And they can't really be separated. But it makes for a very interesting character. And Harry, he can't help but interact with her like she's a little girl. Even gives her a nickname. It's not going to call her Archive. It calls her Ivy. She's like, Ivy? Huh. I kind of like that. Now, Ivy has with her a guardian. Turns out really a bodyguard uh, named Kincaid. And Kincaid works for Ivy. He is a professional bodyguard. He's extremely efficient and powerful. He can kill you with his pinky. He will do whatever is necessary to keep the archive safe. So we know they're going to be involved. They've helped facilitate the deal of how the duel is going to go down and where it's going to go down. But we'll get back to that a little bit later now. In the meantime, Harry has been working the case, tracking the Shroud of Turin. And he tracks it down to a couple of thieves on a boat at a Chicago pier. Mind you, there were three thieves involved in the stealing, but one of them is now dead. There are only two left. Harry arrives at the boat, where they are hiding pretty much at the same time that some denarians show up. They also want the shroud. In the crossfire, he's only able to save one of them, Anna Valmont. And she shows her appreciation by stealing both Harry's magically protective duster, you know, his big cloak that he always wears. Cloak's the wrong word. It's a long coat. 
He's imbued it with magical spells to kind of do things like be bulletproof and stuff and resist magic. Well, she steals it. She also steals the shroud. Thanks. <laughs> he puts his neck on the line to try to save them while trying to get the shroud from them. And he manages to save one at risk of life and limb. And she steals his coat and the shroud. Okay, let's add someone else to the mix now. You remember Susan Rodriguez? Yeah, that's Susan Rodriguez, the uh, ex-girlfriend, maybe still girlfriend, of Harry Dresden, who was bit by a vampire, but hasn't bitten anyone herself, so she hasn't turned full vampire. She's been out of touch. He'd get the occasional postcard. He still is in love with her. Well, she shows up. She and a friend, Martin. Harry doesn't like Martin. You can see the little green jealousy cloud come up because it's like, what's with this Martin guy? What are you hanging out with him for? Well, anyways, they show up to help Harry. They have a vested interest in what's going on with the Shroud. And, of course, to do anything against vampires. Since he's facing a duel with this Duke Ortega, that's really why they're here. They kind of followed the news that Duke Ortega was in town. And they are willing to help Harry any way they can. Well, really, Susan is willing and Martin is along for the ride. There's something different about Susan. She seems to have her vampireness under control. She also has some tattoos. We're going to learn more about that coming up. Together, they head to where they think they can get their hands back on the Shroud of Turin. See, there's a big charity auction going on in town for the rich and famous, a highly ritzy thing. And guess who it's being run by? Johnny Marcone, the gang lord of Chicago, who also has a veneer of proper professional businessman about him. He's holding this auction. And they figure if this thing is going to be sold to the highest bidder, this is the perfect place for it. So they come to try to find it and steal it right out from under Marcone's nose if they can. Their efforts seem to be going initially pretty well, and then they go south, and then they lose the shroud again, and Harry is actually taken captive by the Denarians. Not good. Now we get to experience the Denarians in all their true power and glory, especially their leader, who we meet here now, named Nicodemus. Not only is he a real badin, he's also father of another of the Denarians in play, Deirdre. Nicodemus has the silver coin also available of yet another denarian, Lassiel, or Lashiel. I think we'll say Lashiel. And it kind of has you wondering, okay, the Knights of the Cross have been spending all these years chasing down the silver coins. How do silver coins get out into the wild again? Why aren't they all captured by now? How can Nicodemus have one? That's a question for another day. Dresden refuses to to accept the Lashiel coin that Nicodemus offers him. He's like, you could have this phenomenal power and be part of the real team, the team that's on the right side of things. And Dresden's like, nah, I ain't falling for that. Well, without being willing to accept the Lashiel coin, Nicodemus says, you're worthless to me. I might as well kill you. But before he can, Shiro shows up. Remember Shiro, the senior knight of the cross? See, Harry's in a situation where he's powerless because Nicodemus 
very ancient, very smart. He knew ways to counteract Harry's wizarding magical abilities. Harry is literally in his hands, powerless. Shiro says, hey, remember me? You really don't like me. I'll tell you what. You let Harry go. I will surrender myself to you for the next 24 hours. I won't do anything. I won't try to escape. I will be completely at your mercy. Now, this is the major badass that has been killing Denarians. Nicodemus is like, oh, I sign me up. Yeah, all right. Harry, you go ahead. I got, I'm going to have some fun. And Harry leaves. And as he's leaving, you he can hear Shiro already starting to scream. <laughs> Not that Harry's departure is uncontested. Because while Nicodemus allows him to go, he doesn't compel his daughter Deirdre to let Harry go. You know, you gotta read the fine print on these deals. So Harry is trying to escape. Deirdre is after him. Well, ta-da, Susan shows up again. She'd actually been on the case trying to find what they'd done with Harry. So here she is. And Susan helps Harry escape. Harry is still a mess. He doesn't really have any magic he can tap into at the moment. But Susan uses her semi-vamp powers. Usually held at bay through these tattoos and the ritualistic tattoos that they use. A sort of kind of magic that helps control it. But now she just lets it loose. And wow! She's got some mojo. Susan's able to basically knock the Deirdre Denarian silly enough to get away. And they get together back with uh, out, of, out of all of the stuff. And long story short, they make it to Harry's apartment with the bad guys right on their heels. That's OK, though. Harry's apartment is a fortress, a magically protected fortress. So they go down the steps into his basement apartment. They slam the doors and he throws the magical wards and bam, they are secured, locked in. Nobody's getting in or out for 24 hours. They're safe. Yeah, I don't remember if it was 24 hours, but it's a it's a chunk of hours. Pretty sure it's not 24 hours. Maybe it's eight hours, 12 hours. I don't know. But the point here is that that's not good. Because Susan used way lots of her vampire powers. And now she is all vampire worked up. And she may lose control. The tattoos that she has that help, they are like full-blown, full color now, which is a warning sign that I'm about to go vamp. Which means she's gonna need to eat she won't be able to stop herself and trapped in her in the with her in this apartment there's only one source of sustenance for her harry dresden that's not good so he uh at her urging ties her up now super vampire powers this may not be enough so he really has to do a number and he ties her to the ceiling basically gets her practically dangling so she doesn't have any traction and she's stuck and uh, she starts losing it. She is getting so, you know, overworked with this. And uh, Harry somehow thinks of a, another way to try to help her release some of her tension. And there is quite the scene where basically they give in to some urges while she's in bondage. You getting where I'm going here? Yeah, they have sex. Okay. It's kind of kinky. She's all tied up. It's a little rough. She seems to be into that at the moment because she's rather violent herself. 
But the result is it does seem to diffuse the tension. Uh, there's a release. And the great danger passes. Uh, kind of in a fun way. The next morning, Susan and Harry are able to get out of the apartment. And they are also able to figure out something hinky in what's going on here right now. Because Father Vincent, the one who gave Harry the job to find the shroud, yeah, he, he, that's not Father Vincent. Father Vincent's dead. They discover the real Father Vincent sent from the Vatican is dead. He'd actually been taken over then, an imposter taking his place, and it's one of the denarians. So Harry's actually been working for a denarian to get the shroud back from Anna Valmont and her partner. Because again, the denarians need the shroud for something. We don't know what yet. They figure out that Father Vincent is that denarian, and they actually defeat the imposter, Solurial, his name. And from him, they learn, with the help of the Knights of the Cross, that there's a master plan to release a biological weapon at O'Hare International Airport, something that will quickly spread and decimate the world. That previous corpse that was dead with all those diseases, that was the test case. And the Shroud of Turin is involved in being able to help them supercharge this plague. And it'll go global. I mean, that's where O'Hare comes in. It's such an international airport. So much traffic in and out. Once it's set, kaplooey. The world is screwed. So we've got a plague to stop. But plot halts for no one. Harry has a duel to fulfill. So we got to put the, the whole issue at O'Hare on hold for a minute. And he's got to real quick go to Wrigley Field. Home of the Chicago Cubs. Go Cubs. And the duel is going to take place. Harry is actually uh, then winning the duel. Susan is there as his second. She can't, you know, get involved. The Archive and Kincaid are there to proxy the situation. And Duke Ortega and Harry, you know, going at each other with the sense of will. And Ortega, as a vampire, has an amazing supernatural will. But he says the wrong things, pushes the wrong buttons, and Harry's just sense of loyalty and commitment to his people and integrity just rise up, and he is giving it to Ortega. He is beating Ortega down. So much so, Ortega realizes he's about to lose and cheats. He pulls a gun. He had a hidden pistol. He pulls a gun and is going to shoot Harry. I mean, that's what the vampires really want. They want Harry Dresden dead. Before he can do it, he's shot by a high-powered, high-caliber rifle off on a rooftop. Yeah, Martin, Susan's partner, Martin, was there ready to take out Ortega. Remember, that's why Susan and Martin were there in the first place. They want Ortega dead. So as soon as he goes to cheat, that gives license, and Martin tries to take him out. He does shoot him. He doesn't kill him, but Ortega is wounded. He flees, and a whole bunch of vampires show up to kind of cover his escape. Ah, the duel's a mess. No clear winner. Kincaid just gets Ivy out of there. Uh, well, now that that mess is done, let's get to O'Hare. We've got to stop a friggin' plague. He also hopes to save Shiro, who is still in the possession of the Denarians. Arriving at O'Hare with the other knights, they defeat a bunch of Denarian flunkies, all of which who have their, um, their tongues removed. It's, it's gross. Ew. Yuck. And they do find Shiro in the chapel, the airport chapel. He's been abandoned there now by Nicodemus and his other flunkies. And he's been tortured almost to death. 
He's also been infected with all those plagues. So Shiro's a dead man, but he's not dead yet. And we find out and hear from Shiro that there's a chance still to stop the plague. Uh, Shiro gives Harry his sword, Fidelakius. So Harry has one of the, the swords of the cross, not as a bearer, a, a, an actual knight of the cross. Shiro says, I'm entrusting this to you to pass on to the next person who should wield it. He also tells them uh, where Nicodemus is gone. It turns out he's gotten on a train now. And because this is blown, he's heading uh, out to, I think it's St. Louis, and he's going to spread it from there. So he's out of their hands. He's zipping away on a train. How do we get to him? Well, Harry calls in a marker and gets Johnny Marcone to the rescue. Johnny Marcone and his assistant slash bodyguard, guard, G-A-R-D, uh, show up with a helicopter. And they fly off after that train. There's an amazing train action scene. You got to read it to get the best out of it. But suffice it to say, Harry and Michael nearly die, but they don't because Marcone comes through for them. They manage to retake the shroud, but Nicodemus escapes. So we've got the shroud, bad guys gone, plague averted. And they owe it all to Marcone. Man, that sucks. This is a guy you do do not want to owe anything to. Now, does he owe anything? Well, you know, Harry helped out Marcone before in previous books, so you could say he's just calling in his credit. But how's Marcone going to see it? Are they even? Maybe Marcone's a little on top? We'll have to pay attention to how this plays out moving forward. As they all recuperate from their injuries, Harry receives a letter from Shiro. He sent it back before he'd actually met him. Shiro knew in coming to Chicago, he was probably going to die. It turns out he had been diagnosed recently with terminal cancer. He only had a little time left. So when he chose to sacrifice himself for Harry, he knew, you know, this is a way I can spend, spend my life worthwhile rather than just dying from cancer. This eases the minds of the other knights. Doesn't do much for Harry still. He still feels bad. By the way, I should correct myself on the knights. I often make a mistake with their names. Uh, not Michael. Michael's easy. But I said Sansa. No, Sansa's from Game of Thrones. Sanya. Sanya is the other knight. A bit of a Russian. So, Sa Sanya. Again, I know it's Sanya. Sansa just wants to come out sometimes. You can send in your corrections anyways if you want. Because I said Sansa early on. It's legit. I'm not going to go back and correct it. All right. Harry still feels the pits about Shiro's sacrifice. The letter didn't cheer him up too much. But something else does lift Harry's spirits because he gets a phone call. Right near the end here, he gets a phone call from his mentor, Ebenezer McCoy. You know, the one who calls him Haas? Telling him to turn on the news. Harry turns on the news and learns about a freak accident that's happened in Central America. A old abandoned Russian satellite has fallen out of orbit and crashed right into a, 
uh, compound there in, in Central America. Yeah, it turns out it's the Ortega compound. Holy crap. Freak accident. Uh-huh. Yeah. Harry puts two and two together and realizes McCoy used magic to yank a satellite out of the sky and drop it right on Duke Ortega's head. <laughs> Ebenezer for the assist. And Harry has one less person out there trying to kill him. Cool. There's two last bits in the story. Turns out Marcone, he has a request that is granted. He gets to hang on to the Shroud of Turin. Not permanently. Three days. He gets it for three days. The church knows he has it. This is kind of a, a thank you for his help in recovering it. Why does he need it? Well, Harry uh, tails Marcone to find out where what's going on and finds Marcone goes out to a suburban, not really hospital, a care center, a residential care center. And there's a girl in this place that Marcone apparently cares for, someone who is permanently hospitalized, Something's happened to her in the past, and Marcone is hoping the Shroud's power may heal her. Harry's touched by this a little bit. It's like, huh, Marcone, scumbag, crime lord, has a soft side. Maybe a little bit human after all, huh? And I like that about what Jim Butcher does. He is showing a well-rounded character. Marcone apparently is not all scum. He does have some other emotions and feelings. The other last tidbit that happens is, very end of the book, Dresden is invited over to Michael Carpenter's house. They're going to have a barbecue. You know, the tough stuff's done. Let's have some good time. Let's kick back, relax with each other. I mean, all work and no play make Harry a very dull boy. But out front of the house, he encounters little Harry. Remember the one who was born back when we uh, had a previous experience with uh, Michael and with Charity Carpenter, who was pregnant at the time, and the whole thing about uh, her going into labor while attacked, and yada yada, they named the kid Harry. Well, some time has passed, and Harry's just this little little toddler boy, and he's out playing, I don't know, with his big wheel or something out in front as, as Big Harry shows up. And a car pulls up, window comes down, it's Nicodemus, right there. And he just basically taunts Harry a little bit and chucks him a coin and then drives off. Now, the coin lands right in front of little Harry. Ooh, shiny thing. Little kid goes down to reach for it. That would be bad. So big Harry grabs the coin before the little one can grab it and puts it in his pocket. He saves Harry, little Harry. But did he just get infected? He didn't have gloves on. He just real quick grabbed the coin, shoved it in his pocket. He was only holding it for a few moments. We are left to wonder, did that mean something? Did Nicodemus just spiritually poison Harry? Probably. But whatever the result, it's going to have to wait for another book. <laughs> All right, some final thoughts on Death Masks. I'm amazed that the layers Jim Butcher just keeps adding with these books. There was nothing of significance about werewolves, the fae, ghosts, or other supernatural things here. And yet, we've got such a rich story. The Knights of the Cross are taken to a new level. We've added the Denarians, all these fallen angels, and and, ugh, and we threw in a little bit with Murphy, too. And hey, we brought in Marcone and fleshed out that character some more. Wow. 
We're fully in Dresden's world, and it's getting bigger and richer with every book. It's so interesting. The Denarians are so good and so bad. I mean, what uh, an element to introduce to the story. And you just have to loathe Nicodemus. He's oily. He's sophisticated. He's intelligent. He's evil to the core. It'll be interesting to see where he goes because, I mean, he's still around. And then, of course, again, Mark Cohen. We know he's a bad guy. But is he? Is he just misunderstood? I mean, he was definitely more of a good guy in this book. Pretty much all the elements we saw of Mark Cohn in Death Masks is he's fighting for the right side. He's helping the good guys, regardless of his, of his motivations. He does good. He even shows some vulnerability there at the end of the story. I love the complex creation that we're getting here from Jim Butcher. But that's about all we can talk about here today. Uh, again, I hope you enjoyed this story as much as I did. I didn't cover every last element of it because that's what this is not about. This is a review. But I give this a big two thumbs up. Loved the story. Loved what it added and where it's taking the overall story. Things are just going to keep getting better and better, everybody. So thanks for being here. Thanks for enjoying it along with me. I'm going to hit my outro now. There we go. And the regular reminders for you that if you're enjoying what we're putting out here remember to like and subscribe we'd love to see you come join us on discord we've got a great community over there talking about fantasy and science fiction uh a link is in the show notes where you can join us also find us on social media twitter facebook instagram and if you want to support us you can go to our merch shop buy some of our mugs or even better find us on patreon and join us on patreon support us there and even get benefits you can read all about it there. We'll talk to you next time.